and of the Holy Spirit, one true God. Today we have a lot of readings because we have the feast which has just completed, which is the feast of the birth of the birth of the Virgin Mary, the the birth giver of God. And we also have uh, that this is the pre-feast, the day before, or the two days before, the weekend before, the celebration of the exaltation of the cross, the elevation of the cross. And of course, we have the number of Sundays that we are after Pentecost, which has given us a bunch of other readings. So the one that is most most probing and most difficult to hear is this one about the rich man who has done everything right. And the disciples, of course, sort of assume that a rich man would do everything right. Why would a rich man do everything right? Because he has the leisure and he doesn't get, uh, supposedly, supposedly he has the leisure and he doesn't have, he's not somehow twisted this way and that way by need and difficulties and compromises in his life, supposedly, because he's rich. So, you know, if he decides to do a good thing, he can do a good thing because he can dispose of his life the way he wants to. So that's why the disciples think, if this guy can't be saved, you know, he did everything right and he's rich, then how can any of us be saved? But we see the problem on several levels. First of all, when he comes and addresses Jesus as good teacher, and it's appropriate to call him a good teacher, but Jesus says, why do you call me good? One only is good. And what is he saying? He's saying that goodness itself is a property of God, and if anyone has goodness, it's because of God. Because God has given it. We can't actually have anything to have pride about. Because all things were given to us by God. We can enjoy them. We can recognize them. And we should recognize them. But we're not supposed to have a selfish sense of pride. A self-centered sense of pride about our gifts. And if you're teaching, all the more so because you are teaching what is not you. If you're really a good teacher, you're teaching about God, at least if you're a church teacher. You're teaching about God and not about yourself. 
And if you teach well enough about God, then God himself, if you teach in a way that does not focus on yourself, then God himself will show through you and change you, yourself, as a teacher. So when he says, good teacher, Jesus confronts him and says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. We heard, you, O Lord, are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. God alone is good. Even if we do the best things that we can possibly do in this life, it all falls short unless we are as we are created to be. Which is not just good by ourselves, but good with the goodness of God resting upon us, with the very light and brightness and beauty of God in us and working through us. This is what it means to be good. To be a place where God shows himself. So he says, why do you call me good? So he's asking the man, if you call me good, what is it that you see in me? What is it that you see in me? And then he turns, he says, okay, well, you're probably not going to be able to answer that, right? So he says, if you want to enter into life, and we, we recognize that our Lord Jesus Christ himself is our life. He says, keep the commandments. Now, which commandments? And then our Lord lists every commandment except that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And why does he leave that out? Because the man is being asked in other ways to recognize and to love the Lord his God with all his heart and soul and mind. And what way is he being asked to recognize? He's being asked to recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord and he should love our Lord Jesus Christ with all his heart and soul and mind and everything else should be put aside, even all of his righteousness, even all of his doing of good deeds. So much so that if he has good deeds and does not turn, he is worse off, does not turn and follow Christ. He is worse off than the person who has done many bad deeds but has followed Christ. Is he better off than the thief on the cross? No, he's not. The young men then asked him, all these I then said to him, all these things I have observed from my youth. He has observed them. But has he observed Christ? He has observed them, but has he seen Christ? What do I still lack? So he sees it as what he has, not who he is to seek. 
He sees it as having or not having. He doesn't understand that he has to desire with all his heart and soul and mind not something that he just puts on himself as an adornment, a virtue that he can wear on himself as something that shows him as better, not just in money, but also in virtues, better than other people. But he has to seek God. So he says, if you want to be, Christ says to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have. Give it to the poor. You have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. If you want to be perfect, perfection in terms of what you have or are can only be if you are following God. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. If we do this, we follow God and we are made perfect. But what is perfection? Perfection is something that we misunderstand because we think it is when we perfectly squared away things and we've sort of made things tidy and, and, and unproblematic. That's not perfection. Perfection, in fact, is more associated with the troubling of our lives the disarranging of our lives because we have to change and grow and follow Christ and follow Christ in a way he says what is the perfection the perfection is oh it's nice that you have what you have and keep it the way it is no drop everything leave a mess behind and follow me and that is perfection And that is what it means to be saved. Perfection is to follow him perpetually, continually, always growing, always changing in God. Always moving towards something which is greater, which explodes our sense of what is enough in this world. Which is why... You know, we can only understand this if we cross something that we, we think is a sort of the final sort of line that makes everything sort of enough. You know, when you die, I should have this, I should have that. I should have done this, I should have done that. I need to, you know, get to that point perfect. I don't want to sort of be failing at that point. I just want to get to that point and complete my life in the the nicest, tidiest way. That's not exactly, actually, you know, usually how the saints do it. Some of them are bleeding to death as they go and join Christ in the kingdom of heaven. Some of them suffer sickness well. Some of them leave in time of crisis when things are totally disarranged. Like, for instance, under persecution, when people are martyred. And they don't, they can't make sure that the church is all perfectly set up before they go. They die. Because they desire God, and they will not give up this 
desire to seek him and to see him. Not just to observe things that you can acquire for yourself. You know, good deeds that you can acquire for yourself. But even when you do those things, we do those things to seek God. To seek something that transcends. And this other reading that we had from the Gospel of John, we see what is it that we're looking for? We're looking for Jesus who comes down from heaven as the Son of Man, that exalted human-like figure that comes down from heaven in the, in the book of Daniel, the prophecy of Daniel, which is Jesus' favorite term for himself. He doesn't most of the time call himself Son of God or call himself Christ, although he does accept those things. But he usually calls himself Son of Man, which refers back to the prophecy of Daniel, where Son of Man is strangely and paradoxically actually one of the most divine figures in the Old Testament. It's where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days, and the Ancient of Days is like God the Father, or perhaps like another appearance of God, maybe even a more divine appearance. And then the Son of Man comes and is given the kingdom. But he comes on the cloud of heaven. He comes as God. He doesn't come as someone else, as some, as, as some human person. He, he comes as a divine figure and receives the kingdom from the ancient of days. So he says, only the Son of Man comes down from heaven. He says, and he comes down from heaven, what, what to do? To be like a serpent on a pole. Like a serpent that Moses raises in the wilderness that cures the people of the bite of the serpent. And so, beyond the bounds of our neat and finite and hemmed in lives, Christ comes to show us that we can be cured in such a way that this is not it. The limits of this life have been broken by Christ. He is raised up in an image of our failure. You know, if you walk out into a field and a serpent bites you, you know, compared to a lot of other people in life, you fail. You just, you know, you die and that's it. You're just walking out in the field and you, and you die. That's why people hate snakes in a lot of places. You know, when they don't have all the, the, the cages and all that stuff that people maybe keep snakes in. You can't look at it on a nature thing. You just encounter it in the field and it kills you. So Christ comes to show us that life which seems to be poisoned, which seems to be ended with death, and that life is going to be brought up into the kingdom of heaven in him. 
And so we have to look at him and we have to look at him in the difficult way that he appears to us. So when I say the difficult way he appears to us, he appears to us calling us to leave behind our wealth. He calls to us, calling us to leave behind our own sense of righteousness, our self-righteousness. He calls to us to not account to ourselves things, to not say, what do I lack? But to see him and to say, I desire you. It doesn't matter what I lack. I desire you. I desire to follow you. And I will give up all things. I will lack all the things I think I have gained. I will give them away. And I will follow you. And where does that happen? You know, some people have done it literally. They've just given up everything and gone off to a monastery and, and uh, you know, prayed continually. Some people have given up their own lives as martyrs. But in our lives, we have to give it up at every moment because we have to be humble and recognize that only God is good. We have to have great desire. We have to have a desire which disrupts our life, a desire for God, which causes us to seek Him all the time in every way that we can seek Him. We have to accept difficulties and sufferings because what are we looking at when we're looking at Christ? We're looking at someone who shows us the poison of this world and he is the cure. We see him on the cross and we see death. But if we really see him, we see life. So what happens if we are sick? What happens if we are confronted by death? That we are to desire Christ and not even think about that limit on our life. And with prayer, calling out his name, recognizing him as the good, recognizing him as the good one who gives us goodness. All the good things that we could possibly get in life are nothing compared to the goodness that God himself gives us. And I mean that completely and utterly and thoroughly. The most, the best things that we could possibly get in life are nothing compared to the goodness of what God can give us in the kingdom of heaven. So we have to seek that goodness. We have to lay aside all things in prayer. We have to lay aside all anxieties and, and depressions and uh, all passions and see Christ and pass through, pass through that small space that is humility that we can pass through to see Christ. That small space which is faith and endurance, faith like a mustard seed. It's nothing to go through the eye of a needle if you're a mustard seed. And if you have a mustard seed of faith. 
So let us seek Christ, the one who is lifted up for us on the cross, who passes through death, who breaks death and gives us life to teach us a perfection which surpasses any good thing in this world, which is continual growth, gazing at the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one true God.